0: Good morning. Where are all the kids at this morning? You guys raise your hands up. All right. So today, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about is uh, part of our uh, identity as followers of Jesus by, that, that we get by being in God's family. Um, and it's really helpful for us that the Bible uses that kind of uh, image of family, right? Because, because we know what it's like to be in a family, right? How many of you are in a family? Okay? That should be everybody. Everybody has family. Um, what are some of the good things, kids, that you get for being in a family? Zaley? Clothes. clothes. Food. Liam? Hug. Hug. Drew? Help with math. Help with math. <laughs> Noah? It's the privilege to not wear clothes. <laughs> the, okay. All right. Sophie? What? Getting cared for, yes. Zeke? A TV. TV. Love. Love. All right, what are... Do you have something? Giving kisses, kisses, yes. All right. Uh, What are some of the... I mean, they're not bad things, but less fun things that come by being in a family, like things you have to do. That your mom and dad make you do. Levi? Only chores. chores? Yeah. What are some examples of chores you have to do at your house? Doing Zaley? Doing the dishwasher. Doing the dishwasher. I have another one. Okay. I'm taking a bath. Taking a bath. <laughs> Harper? Making your, bed. Making your bed. Drew? Math. That's what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> Noah? Having to wake up. Kate? Laundry. Laundry. Joshua? Oh, wait. Wrong side. Yeah, having to fold clothes. Sophie? Sweeping? Zeke? Um, Clean our rooms. Clean our rooms. You get money for cleaning your room? I'll clean your room. <laughs> Levi? Picking up, the Picking up the garbage. All right. So being in a family means that you get all these good things, like kisses and hugs and love, and you get cared for, you get food, you get shelter, you get clothing. But being in a family also means that with all those privileges you get, all those good things you get, you also get responsibilities, like you got to fold those clothes. you got to help clean the dishes that you eat on. you got to help clean the house that you live in. Um, And the reason why we're talking about this this morning is because it's very similar to that for us to be in God's family. Being in God's family means we get all kinds of blessings. We share in Jesus's inheritance. What he gets from his father, he shares with us, which is amazing. It's, It's gracious. It's generous. But being in God's family also means that there are expectations placed on us. God wants us to act and live in a certain way as his children. And so kids, I would encourage you to go home and ask your parents more about the great and many blessings we get by being in God's family and also the expectations that are placed on us as his children. Um, For everybody else, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 36 this morning. But before we do that, I want to just share a little something about the song we just sang. Right? We just sang the song, At the Cross, and there's this, this repeated phrase. Um, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Um, but the problem is, we're not happy all the day, Right? Is anybody in here happy, like, all the time, every day, 24 hours, seven days a week? You're lying, Kevin. You're not. <laughs> right? No one is. Nobody is happy. If somebody was happy literally all of the time, it would probably be because there's something wrong with them. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I, th- I think that if, if we're not careful as we sing that song and we think about the words, it might cause us to think that there's something wrong with us as followers of Jesus. You know, as if there's something broken in me or broken in you because we're not just giddy and happy and cheerful all the time. Like, is, is Jesus' death not enough for me that that's not how I feel? We're singing this song. Everybody's singing this song. Maybe everybody else feels that way and I don't feel that way. Is there something wrong with me? But the reality is, is there's not something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the word happy. Uh, because as the English language has evolved, the word happy just doesn't mean what it used to mean. Now it means a fleeting, uh, kind of shallow happiness. Um, And the reason why I bring this up is because last week, right, we were in the Beatitudes, um, where Jesus said over and over again, Blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who weep. Now, blessed are you when people hate you and mistreat you. The reason why I bring that up is because the word that's translated blessed can also be translated as happy which really doesn't make sense in the way we use the word happy, right? Happy are you who weep now. Those those two don't go together. They don't don't fit. And the reason why they don't fit is because the word happy doesn't mean what it means when we use it. Uh, It used to mean more like blessedness or favor from God. It's talking about this state that we're in spiritually under God. We are blessed by him. We are favored by him. We are happy In Jesus, in a spiritual way, not in a kind of emotional, fleeting, temporary way. And so when we sing that song at the cross, we're not saying that we're happy and cheerful all the time. What we're saying is that because he has saved us, we are in a different spiritual standing under God. He has changed our relationship with him. Now it's no longer one of fear and guilt and shame. It's one of joy and blessedness and favor and spiritual happiness. And so, when you sing that song, don't feel like you're a failure. Recognize that it's talking about the identity that we have in Christ, the spiritual standing that we have under him. um, And be encouraged as you sing it, even if you're not emotionally happy when you do. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Father, we we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, We thank you that that in it, we get to to learn about blessing after blessing and grace after grace that we get to experience because of what Christ has done for us. That if we trust in him, uh, we can be made new and and justified and adopted into your family you move us from being your enemies to being your children from being slaves to sin to servants in your kingdom you you transfer us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son we thank you for everything that you have done for us in christ and we also thank you for passages like the one we're going to look at today that, that tell us the expectations you have for us as your children. The the family likeness that we need to bear in your world to, as we repu- represent you to the world around us. God, we pray that you would send your spirit to, to equip us and enable us to understand your word together this morning. That You would take the truths and and, and the commands that Jesus speaks out in this passage and you would press them deep into our hearts. That we would leave here motivated by your grace and by your generosity and by your love for us to walk in obedience to your word. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf and it's in your name we pray, amen. So, Last week, right, we started Jesus's in Luke, Sermon on the Plain. Same thing as the Sermon on the Mount, just in a flat place on the Mount. And he poured out these, these four blessings and these four woes on two different groups of people. The first, he talked to his disciples. And the second group, he turns and he talks to the crowd. In today's passage, he's going to shift his focus back to his disciples and he's going to talk to them about how they're to act. And specifically, it's how we're to act in relationships. But there are very specific kinds of relationships. These are relationships. Um, kind of without any kind of reciprocity. They're relationships where we get nothing out of them. Or if we do get something out of them, what we get out of them is mistreatment. And so, these are relationships with people that are our enemies, people that we don't like, people that don't like us, people that mistreat us or do bad things to us. And he's telling us how we, as his people, are supposed to act towards those who are opposed to us. He's kind of drawing out that last beatitude in verse 22, where he said, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and when they spurn your name as evil. He's telling us how we're supposed to act in those situations. And so, he's going to start by giving us four commands. And really, it's one command that's unpacked with three more commands. He says, I say to you here, love your enemies, that's one. Do good to those who hate you, that's two. Bless those who curse you, that's three. And pray for those who abuse you. But it all starts with love your enemies. And he's going to unpack that and explain that with those three other commands. And it's, it's, it's very, very, very significant and helpful for us that Jesus does what he does with these four commands. And the reason why it matters is because if he just threw out the first command, if he just said, love your enemies, and then moved on to something else, we would think that the command was for us to feel something for our enemies. Right? In order to obey Jesus, what I need to do is I just need to, you know, cultivate some some positive, warm feelings for my enemies. And then once I've done that, I've obeyed him. because, Because love is a feeling, right? Wrong. DC Talk 1992, love is a verb. But that's true, right? In scripture, love is an active thing. And Jesus makes that clear when he says, love your enemies. And he tells us three specific ways we can actively love them, right? Do good to those who hate you. That's not a feeling. That's an action. Pray or Bless those who curse you. That's not a feeling. That's an action. Pray for those who abuse you. That's not a feeling. That is an action. We are called, as his followers, to actively, intentionally take steps to outwardly love those people that are our enemies supposed to do good for those who hate us bless those who curse us people curse us we offer nothing but blessing back pray for those who abuse us now i want to be clear here that when it uses the word abuse it's talking about a more general mistreatment right the way we use the word abuse in english especially now at this time in our culture is very specific it's often talking about domestic violence I think that if someone is in a situation of domestic violence, what they should do is they should leave. Pray for them after you leave, but first get help. And if anybody here is in that situation, I would encourage you to talk to one of the elders about it so that we can help you get out of it. Abuse here isn't, isn't is, when he uses the word abuse, he's not condoning abuse. It's more general just mistreatment. That's who we're supposed to pray for. And he's going to give us some specific examples of how we love our enemies, how we do good to those who hate us. In verse 29, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So somebody strikes you on the cheek, what we are supposed to do as Jesus' followers is to offer them the other cheek. I think what's important for us to see about this is that in, in Matthew he specifies that it's a slap. It's a slap in the face. The focus here, it's not on physical violence, it's not on harm. The purpose of slapping somebody in the face is to humiliate them. And so when Jesus uses this imagery and says, if somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek to them also. What he's saying is that we as his followers need to be willing to give up our pride and let ourselves be humiliated for the sake of the gospel. Because as his followers, we give up our rights to personal pride. Because it's not about my name, it's not about your name, it's about his name. And as his followers, this is how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to be willing to suffer in ways that he suffered in. And Jesus clearly in the gospels suffered humiliation and shame for us. So he says, when someone strikes you on the cheek, let them strike you on the other side too. Don't fight back, don't resist, don't give in to your pride. Let yourself be humiliated further. We give up our right to pride when we choose to follow Jesus. The next thing, uh, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Tunic is like a shirt. Uh, Cloak is like a jacket. And he's saying, if somebody takes your cloak, uh, let them have your shirt too. And the reason why this is significant is because in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the Old Testament law stated that if someone gave you their cloak, if they let you borrow their jacket, you had to get it back to them by nightfall. If you didn't get their cloak back to them by nightfall, you were a lawbreaker. You were disobeying God. The reason why that's the case is because the cloak in their culture was viewed as an inalienable possession, something that could not be taken away from you. It's your right as a human being to have a jacket. Jesus here is saying that if somebody takes away that fundamental right that you have, your response should not be, give it back. Your response should be, let me give you more. As his followers, we give up the things that we think that we're entitled to. We're called to such radical generosity that we should not just be willing to give those things up, but give more which is exactly where he goes in verse 30, right? If the first two things weren't bad enough, then he says, Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Give to everyone who begs from you. So who do, who do we give to? Everyone. everyone. If someone comes up to you and asks you for things, begs is the word used here, but it could also be translated as ask, so I think it's just a very specific, I'm asking for something. If somebody comes up to you and they ask you to give them, our response as his followers, if we're going to obey Jesus in this command, should be to give. Not just to one person, not just to two people, not just to three people, but to everyone. And I know that sounds crazy. And even right now, as we're talking about this, we're all, including me, are thinking about all the reasons why we don't need to keep this command. Jesus couldn't possibly mean what he says. What if he does? What if all the justifications and rationalizations and excuses that we come up with for why he can't mean what he says or why, if he does mean what he says, we don't have to do it, are just us trying to get more comfortable about disobeying God? Here's four truths about what he says here. We talked about this when we did the stewardship series back in whenever it was, June maybe. Um, But here they are. First of all, first truth about verse 30 is that it is a command grammatically, there's no wiggle room for us here. We can't say, well, maybe it's a command, maybe it's not a command. It's a command. He says, give to everyone who begs from you. And so if we're not doing it, we're not doing something that Jesus commanded us to do. And that's, that's the end, right there. It's a command. If we don't do it, we're disobeying the command that he's given us. Second truth, there's nothing that you or I can give that hasn't already been given to us by God. Everything that we have, every dollar, every cent in our bank account is given to us by God. All the gifts and abilities that we have, our our bodies, everything about us, everything that we are, everything that we have is given to us by the Father. That means that anything that we give to someone else is us re-gifting. We're simply passing on something that God has given to us. And so if someone comes to us and they beg us, they ask us for something, if we give them, we're not giving them something that's ours. We're not giving them our hard-earned cash. What we deserve from God is death, the end. Anything that we get from him is his gracious generosity towards us. So we're not giving our hard-earned cash. We're giving the gracious cash that God has given us to someone else. The third truth is that God knows everything. everything right right now God knows exactly how much money is in my bank account how much money is in your bank account he knows everything that we have at our disposal to give to someone else and he knows every single person for the rest of our lives that's going to come to us and ask us for help so he knows what resources that we have and he knows what resources we will need Which means that when someone comes to us and they ask us for stuff, it's not our job to figure out whether they really need it or whether we have enough to give to them. Because God knows, and he's in control of all things, he's told us to give to everyone who begs, and so our responsibility is to obey him and not worry about all the stuff that he knows. We're called to trust him, not try to do it ourselves. So it's a command... There's nothing that we can give that we haven't already been given. He knows what we need and what we have. And the fourth thing is pretty obvious. But it's good for us to obey Jesus. Right? I think in a lot of situations where people ask us to give, we're we're worried that bad things are going to come out of it. Right? People are going to misuse whatever we give them or it's going to cause harm to come to us, or, or whatever. But the reality is, is that if we give to someone else, even if no positive fruit comes out of it for that person in their life, it is good for us to obey. It's a sanctifying thing for us to walk in obedience to the Father. And so when he tells us to give, we give. Regardless of what happens after that point, good things have happened for us. We're being more and more and more conformed into the likeness of his son when we do what Jesus tells us to do. So it's a good thing for us to obey. Now, in the sermon on stewardship, we talked about all the objections. And so I'm not gonna do that this morning because this passage isn't primarily about this verse. But I will say that all the objections aren't valid. We want them to be, I want them to be. But I think at the end of the day, we're just looking for reasons why we don't have to do what Jesus says. We're looking for reasons for why it's okay for us to do what we want with our money instead of what he wants with our money. And even right there, right, it's telling because it's not our money. And so I would encourage you, this verse encourages me and you towards radical generosity, It encourages us towards being uh, more gracious and more generous with what God has given us and giving in ways that we aren't able to control because it's forcing us to trust him and be more faithful with what he's given us. And so I would encourage you to look for ways that you can obey Jesus' command this week, this month, this Christmas uh, by giving to those who ask. If you want to talk more about this afterwards, uh, I would love to but we don't have time to talk more about it now. Verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This is the golden rule, right? As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I love the golden rule, especially as a parent, right? It just makes things very, very simple. It's very clear. It's to the point. uh, How should you treat somebody else? Well, you should treat somebody else how you would want to be treated. But there are also times where I don't like the golden rule. I don't like the golden rule when I make it transactional. When I say, I'm going to treat you how you treat me. That, that's not the golden rule. It's, it's close. That's the golden rule broken by sin in our flesh. Or when I say, right, if, if you start treating me how I want to be treated then I'll start treating you how you want to be treated you do it first and then I'll do it but the reality is is that first of all this is a command we treat the golden rule most of the time like it's just this general principle for good behavior but it's not a principle it is a command the command is at the very end of the verse it's do so to them the first half of the verse of the golden rule is just explaining Jesus explaining what we're supposed to do with the command at the end So our role with the golden rule is to do what Jesus tells us to do. What does Jesus tell us to do? Jesus tells us to treat other people how we want to be treated. It doesn't have anything to do with anyone else. Regardless how other people treat us, regardless of whether they treat us how we want to be treated, regardless of whether they mistreat us, our responsibility is to treat them how we would want to be treated which makes the golden rule a lot less fun because it puts all of the responsibility on me and it puts all the responsibility on you and not on other people where we would really like for it to be. Our responsibility is to do what Jesus says. Jesus says, treat other people how you would want to be treated. Now he's going to explain with some hypotheticals the other option. We could do what Jesus tells us to do, love our enemies, do good to those who do good to us, bless those who curse us, pray for those who abuse us. We could, you know, suffer humiliation, give up our rights, give to those who ask, treat other people how we want to be treated, or we could just do what everybody else does. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Jesus is saying, even people who have not been transformed by the gospel do these things. Doing those things is no big deal. Right? People that treat us well, we treat them well, even in our flesh. We would be willing to give to somebody that we know is going to give it back in our flesh. We would be willing to treat others well that treat us well in our flesh. Even without Christ's work in our life, we would be willing to live like that. Which means it doesn't matter. Because what he's calling us to in this passage are things that absolutely are not possible for us apart from his work in our life. we, We can't do these things on our own. which is why he says what he says in verse 35. But don't do what they do. Instead, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. We're called to do what Jesus tells us to do, not what everybody else does. We give, expecting nothing in return. But then look what he says next. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Great. And you will be sons of the Most High. So, this kind of lifestyle, doing what Jesus calls us to do, living like he calls us to lo- lo- live, results in two things. We don't do it expecting a return, but we actually get something. Something results from it, results in our reward being great in heaven. And he says, You will be sons of the Most High. That's a good thing, right? We, we, we want a reward at the end important for us to remember that this passage, right, Jesus is talking to his disciples. So he's not saying do these things. He's not saying love your enemies, you know, or lend, expecting nothing in return. He's do good. He's not saying do these things so that you can get a reward. He's not saying do these things so that you can be his disciples. They're already his disciples. He's already talking to his followers. He's saying this is how you're expected to live as his disciples, and as his disciples, they'll get a reward. They're not doing these things to earn the reward, but that comes at the end. We also will be sons of the Most High. And here, I think, is a place where we can miss it and think that he's saying, do all this stuff, and then you can be my sons and daughters. Right? As if we would, if we would go out this week, and we would give to everybody who asks, and we would pray for those who mistreat us. If we would do these things, then at the end of the week, then we'll be his sons and daughters. But notice that they're already his sons. He says, you will be sons of the Most High, for he is, kind and ungrateful to, he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. God is already their Father at this point. So Jesus is not saying, do these things so that you can be sons and daughters. He's saying, you are sons and daughters, so do these things. We're supposed to be this way. Why? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We're supposed to be merciful because he is merciful. We are living out our sonship to the Father. We're acting like his sons and daughters when we bear the family likeness, when we treat other people like he treats them. It's not so that we can earn his favor. It's because we already have it. So as we go out this week from this place, as we look for opportunities to love our enemies and and treat those well who treat us poorly, as we look for opportunities to be generous and gracious and sacrificial and humble and be willing to be mistreated, as we do those things, we're not doing anything special. We're simply living out our identity in Christ. We're being his sons and daughters. We're representing our Father to the world around us. We're doing what he has called us to do because we are who he has made us to be, right? As we follow Jesus in the Christian life, right? As we, we seek to grow in obedience and conform more and more to his image, I think that sometimes we, we, we forget that he has already transformed us, right? We are new creations. The old has passed away. The new has come. He has made us new. The Christian life for us is us simply living out what he's already done in us. Right? We're not doing this so that we can become sons and daughters. We're doing it because we already are. We just need to let other people know that by how we treat them and the things that we do. And so, even as we talked this morning with the kids about, you know, the responsibilities and privileges that come from being in a family... Being in God's family is the same exact way. We get all these blessings. We are, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, the God of the universe, the one who made everything, the one who made us. Because of that, he expects us to live like he wants us to live. He expects us to walk in obedience. He expects us to bear the family likeness before the world around us so that others might know who he is, what he is like, and what he has done for them. And why wouldn't we want to do that? I'm going to pray, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world born of a woman and born under the law to to free us from it. That you have made it so that we are no longer your enemies and we are no longer slaves to sin and death and Satan, but that we are free sons and daughters of Your Father, of our Father. We pray that You would use Your Spirit to to convict us and challenge us with Your words to Your followers this morning. We pray that You would help us this week, this day, this hour to be sons and daughters of God. He would help us to walk in obedience even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, even when it doesn't come natural to us. That your grace would continue to transform us and make us more like our identity is in you and less like who we were before you stepped in to make us new. We pray now that as we celebrate your death through the Lord's Supper and worship together, that you would move in our midst and enable us to worship you rightly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.